0: Hollywood is rated LGBT radio starring your host Rob Watson. Welcome, welcome, welcome to this installment of rated LGBT radio. We're glad you're here. And, again, we have a really fantastic show lined up for you. Um, in the past, we've had uh, a lot of shows. I could probably put them in categories. Like we have the activist shows with some of the top people from different activist organizations across the country. And then we have the filmmaker shows, particularly the documentarians. We have documentary filmmakers, directors, um, cameramen, et cetera, We've had stuntmen, we've had actors, we've had writers, you know, the whole gamut. We've had musicians, uh, all of that. Well, today I can guarantee you is a first for us. We have never, ever in the history of this podcast had a gay Secret Service agent, and we do today. Um, His name is Corey Allen, and he has written a book, Breaking Free, a saga of self-discovery by a gay Secret Service agent. Um, he has served as a Secret Service agent for um, quite a number of years, um, are arcing the Obama years and um, a lot of the campaigns before and after um, President Obama. So he has seen a lot. Um, the memoir is um, not really a treatise on how to be a secret service agent, but rather his personal story coming to terms with his sexuality um, from his early youth through his career as a secret service agent and all the nuances um, that that brought about. So we're and just talk to him today um, and get his perspective and unique viewpoint on, on everything, though, is our uh, co-host. Brody Levesque. Brody also serves as the executive editor of the Los Angeles Blade magazine. Um, that is the online newspaper that you absolutely should be reading every day. Uh, he has a unique team of journalists that uh, create their stories as good journalists do um, with you know, top journalist integrity, um, not a blog site but uh, every every day is breaking news on that site. And you can find that site at the Los Angeles Blade, not dot, sorry, losangelesblade.com. Um, and with that, with uh, some of the breaking stories that he is working
1: on, here is Brody. Hey, Rob, and happy Pride, everyone. Today is June the 1st. We kick off Pride Month. So let us have a great month. Uh, This year, though, I want to remind everybody that is within sound of my voice, this pride is taking us right back to where we were at the first pride, and these are going to be a celebration marking protest, especially as this legislative season for state houses all over the United States are closing out with 530 anti-trans, anti-queer, anti-gay bills, many of which have become lost, don't say gay, bans on transgender youth healthcare, LGBTQ book bans. For example, our guest today wrote a really cool memoir about his time as a member of the United States Secret Service, albeit a gay one. I will guarantee you Agent Corey's book will not appear on bookshelves in the state of Florida because someone will say, wait, there's gay in the title. No, we can't have that. So this Pride season, 2023, let us all pay attention to that. And to underscore it, today the President of the United States issued his annual Pride Proclamation. The President said, and I quote, just as the 1969 Stonewall riots marked a transformational time for LGBTQ civil rights in America, the country now faces another critical inflection point. That was President Joe Biden earlier today issuing the proclamation. Uh, in breaking news, ironically, we actually do have one. This story is not a lot of fun. It goes to what the point I just made. I was called by Representative Zoe Zephyr of Montana and her fiance, who happens to be one of my columnists and journalists, Erin Reed. In Montana, in Butte County, there was a transgender female who was going to present LGBTQ history as part of Pride Month at the Butte Public Library. And unfortunately, they decided by gaslighting, if you want to go there, that uh, that was going to be the same as having a drag queen story hour. So what ultimately ended up happening was they canceled the event, and then we got evidence of part of the reason for it. One of the many comments and tweets that were directed at Butte County's library and at the county itself, I'm going to read this to you. This is an actual tweet, and it mirrors some of the comments. Hello, there is a transsexual reading to children at the public library on Friday the 2nd. The, quote, performer has posted on Twitter that it will be discussing sexual acts and there may be children there. This is illegal under Montana state law now. Will the local police be allowing this to happen? Well, after a bunch of those, the director of the library, uh, her name is Steph Johnson, decided that, you know, discretion was a better part of valor. They were honestly saying, well, okay, this is probably definitely a violation of the uh, trans, uh, uh, not trans, excuse me, the drag ban that was just passed, and signed into law by the governor. And so they canceled it. So I guess the point I'm making, and this is a story that's developing, we're currently working on it, we should have it up in a few hours. But this is reality. This, this is exactly what's going on with our community right now. These are some of the things that we need to be very, very, very careful about. Um, and that's for Montana. Uh, I've got a couple others, Rob, real quick that I wanted to mention. Uh, one of them yeah, Brody, is before kind you of move unfortunate, those, you know.
0: Brody, before you move on to those, um, what what was the reality of what was posted on the Performer's Facebook page? I kind of doubt that the that really said that that they were going to be talking
1: about sexual acts well first of all it's not a performer it's just a trans woman second of all uh this goes to the heart of the argument that the trans community has made and i have even said that these drag laws would be weaponized against the trans community particularly trans females and that's precisely what happened this person is not a drag performer this person is not a performance artist. This person is just an average trans female who happens to be a historian. And there's the problem right there. Right. Okay. So there's, it was this, a this historian
0: is, who was giving a talk, and was the talk about sexuality? Was is?
1: No, no. I mean, it was a history lesson, literally talking about LGBTQ history. But what I read you was the commentary and the memes and the Twitter of the white that were twisting it and using those words. That's not the actuality of the situation. Right. No, the actuality of the situation what I a historian, yeah. you
0: know. Yeah. So, but, so there was and talking at the library was not as a historian was that even targeted towards children or was it targeted towards a, a, a historical interested audience?
1: My understanding from talking to uh, Aaron is that it was an all ages presentation in the library. That's all. Anybody could attend. Okay,
0: yeah. So what what are the other stories you got going?
1: Um, here in California, the city of Redlands decided that they will not be flying a pride flag uh, this June in a rather divisive uh, city council meeting that got pretty heated between uh, the two sides. So Redlands decided to opt out. That's already causing issues. Uh, we had an elementary school in North Hollywood, also here in California, where a pride flag uh, was burned. And at the same elementary school, uh, there is a pride presentation that the school's still going to put on tomorrow, Friday, June 2nd. But a group of you know conservative family parents uh, are just making all sorts of noise um about it. And at some point in there, someone decided uh, to burn this flag. Uh, a spokesperson for the Los Angeles Police Department told me that the LAPD is actually treating this as a hate crime. So uh, there is that. Um, and then uh, the other two bits of news um, that are kind of important, South Dakota, South Dakota's Republican governor, uh, has asked the Board of Regents uh, to shut down any and all drag shows on any of the state's uh, six major universities and colleges. Uh, the Board of Regents' answer, which I thought was kind of amusing, was that they were taking her letter under consideration. Uh, <laughs> Governor Nome is a rabbit anti-trans, anti-drag, anti-queer person, so it's yeah, not a real shock. Uh, and then two days ago, um, Alabama Governor Ivey signed a piece of legislation that extended the ban on trans-female athletes to include all state colleges and universities. Initially, it was a through K-12 ban. It has now been uh, extended to that. And last thing for our viewers, um, there is a story out of Florida that you guys need to read. It came to us from our partners at NPR and WUSF uh, in St. Augustine, Florida. And uh, the headline is, a trans teen no longer feels welcome in Florida, so she left. Uh, she and her family, who were residents of St. Augustine, uh, had had enough. And after the latest ban was signed against trans uh, youth health care, which basically would detransition her uh, because it was one of those immediate type a fact once it goes in on July 1st, the family just decided enough and they have since relocated. But I bring that story to everyone's attention because this is a reality of what's going on. So as we celebrate Pride this month, remember Pride traditionally and should continue to be a protest because right. until we get to the point where we're seen as people and not an issue, it's going to be a problem. And with that, I'll toss it back to you. Yeah, and
0: I just want to reiterate that. I mean, one of the things that I found distressing was different pride organizations folding um, in the face of controversy. And it, it's it's kind of um, a throwback to recent years where a lot of people have seen pride as just simply this celebratory, circusy kind of, environment, um, you know, really a, an excuse to party, not, not a reason to really look at our issues either where we've been or where we're going. Um, and this is kind of forcing that hand. And so I do hope that the people who are behind the various Pride organizations do take to heart what you just said, Brody, to recognize that we have to go back to our roots where Pride was a protest. And a lot of this that is going on, I mean, it is bubbling up and it is ugly and it is awful. And that is because a lot of the ugliness and awfulness has become normalized by specific politicians on our landscape. Um, and so that has empowered this ugly hatred that has always been there. Uh, one of the things that I think is important to remember is a lot of our accomplishments from on the LGBTQ um, equality front have been judicial. They've been through the court system, and that means that they have happened out of principle, which is right, but they've also happened in the face of a population that hasn't quite been on board, a good half of the population. And while that acceptance has been growing and growing and growing, it still has a huge population out there that has not grown with it. And with it is not just misinformation, it's lies and um, you know willful ignorance. These people don't want to know the truth. They want to believe what they believe. Um, they are much more comfortable hiding transgender people, hiding drag queens because they are not comfortable with it and they don't want to hear that trans people and drag queens are not actually a threat. So they're embracing this, and they're running with it. And to top it all off, a lot of them have guns, and that makes it even even more detrimental. But we can't afford to go back in the closet at this point. So shifting gears um, and going to somebody who is, been on the front lines of danger himself. I want to welcome our guest, uh, Corey Allen. Um, Corey, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I am honored um, to be on your show given
2: the impressive list of people who come before me. Um, so it's, it's humbling to be here, and Bertie, thank you for the very important work uh, that you do and that you continue to do. Um, it, it certainly does not go unnoticed, and it's very appreciated.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate that.
0: You have been out there in in the environment where um, if there's potential explosion uh, or, or, or protest or confrontation when a VIP of the government has been around, you've been on the front lines. What do you see about the current environment versus the one you experienced during the Obama years? Has it gotten worse? or have we just been a is to it?
2: All right. <clears throat> you all touched on it just a moment ago that it's always been there, but in my opinion, it has not been politically acceptable or socially acceptable for it to be so pronounced. Then um, over the course of the past few years, unfortunately, we've seen that tide turn where people feel more emboldened um, to speak out, to take action, to spew hate, um, and to target us, um, seemingly here, we, we are now the new, the, or the bullseye again. Um, it's in my opinion, I, I think it's definitely
0: uh, amplified here recently. And the one point that Brody brought up, I, I thought was actually kind of interesting about whether your book would be targeted to be banned. Um, you know, obviously your book, you know, you deal with sexuality right up front. Um, and in some cases fairly descriptively. Um, I probably wouldn't put it on a junior high school um, bookshelf, but certainly I would think high school uh, bookshelves would be um, candidates for you. What, what do you think about the age group of appropriateness for your, your book? Yeah, definitely not junior high um,
2: I mean, based on the current climate, I would think 18 and over just to be safe. Um, yeah, that's, that's tricky because um, I, I do speak very candidly in the book, and, I, and I'm very honest and transparent. Um, and I and – I, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a touchy that's subject. Um, probably 18 but, and over. Um, I certainly couldn't see schools putting it, you know, in, in these conservative states. Um, just because as Bertie said, it says gay right in the title. It is. It's about me so right right yeah you
0: do say gay so there, there you go right up front we're, 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 we're touching base on that uh, and we can blame Brody for that question because I actually hadn't even thought to ask you that until he brought it up in the in the opening here. So um, Corey, let's go back to the beginning of the book. Um, you come from um, you know kind of a, a turbulent childhood um your mom was married a couple of times to men who weren't so nice and um but you were inspired by your grandfather um who served i, I think in World War 2 um and his um courageousness um over there uh, literally facing the nazis um can you tell us about that it certainly was a turbulent
2: upbringing uh, we had um, domestic violence in the home for 10 years um, through one, somebody that mom was dating for while well, he lived with us. Um, so very violent episodes um, for quite a long span. Um, but through that, I, I actually, through my interactions with law enforcement, that early on um, led to my career path, which I'm, which I'm grateful for. Um, I, I wouldn't change anything about my career path. But through all those turbulent years and frequent moves, uh, my grandfather, uh, who was my hero, and my mentor, um, was the stability in, in all of those turbulent waters. Um, and he his words carried the to the world, um, and and through those through those years and up until I was 30 when he passed away, um, he remained that that rock um, for not only me but for many members of my family. Um, for just his courageousness, everything he went through, you know, being a POW, being captured by the Gestapo after being shot down uh, over Schweinfurt, Germany, um, and then coming home and retiring as a mail courier after 20 years and raising, adopting a bunch of kids and raising an amazing family on a farm. Um, it's the quintessential member of the greatest generation. Um, and I'm forever thankful that, that I had this man in my life and hopefully can one day emulate an ounce of, of what he put forth
0: and how we remember him. And in your your home life with your mom and your mom suffering a lot of the brunt of the the abuse from a couple of partners, but the one that finally woke her up was when um, uh, the one turned on you. You had just turned 18 and he was threatening you and it was seeing his abusive attitude towards you that woke her up and uh led to the final escape can you tell us more about that yeah it was uh another nap
2: sunday as i called them i'm growing up in the south uh in conservative areas that was just the norm um for us um alcohol was involved and then things got heightened through the day uh argument broke out um and i called 911 before it escalated into like mom getting assaulted again um, and I just turned 18, so mom was on um, night shift. She, was a, she actually still is a nurse. Um, so she left for work, and then um, I was approaching the kitchen while I was eating, and, you know, my dinner plate slammed against the wall. Um, it was just my sister and I, and she's uh, eight years younger than me, so she was probably 10 at the time, um, shoved me against the wall and threatened to, you know, beat my ass. And he, he cannot legally beat me up since I was of age. Um, and, of course, I was this rail-thin, <laughs> tall 18-year-old um, against this massive man who was at least 100 pounds heavier than me. Um, but, unfortunately, he didn't, he didn't physically strike me. Um, and then within moments later, Mom came back home. She had forgotten something. Um, and she walked in. Of course, there was, the kitchen was a mess, and it was very evident that something had transpired. Um, and it was within a week or so after that, I think, that, that she was like – you can kill me but you will not harm my children and just through all the years of abuse that she suffered um, that was that was the final straw and she actually sold the house we moved to pennsylvania temporarily she was fearing for her life um, from this man and she did that after this incident with me Um, and that was you know again some of that turbulence that we dealt with while she found her footing after being with this guy for 10 years um thankfully she was able to, to break
0: free from that and start to rebuild her life. It, it's There's sort of an interesting parallel there with you in that scenario and your ultimate career where you were kind of a catalyst of having somebody be protected.
1: In other words, if you hadn't
0: been there, if you hadn't been in the front line of fire, um, she wouldn't have had the revelation she did. And I'm just wondering if from that you you took some sort of spiritual – Um, inspiration um, in the career that you ended up in whether that made you willing later on to put yourself on the front line i had never thought of that
2: before Um, (laughs) great question or statement um yeah i don't i don't know i was always my sister's ardent protector um and i and i feel into to say we're we're very close mom my sister and i uh, and my brothers you know we're close as well but just not quite to the level that we are with my mom and my sister um but i don't I, I can't i don't know if that led me into the secret service to be a literal um, agent uh, to be a protector um
0: but that's a fascinating <laughs> Uh, for five <laughs> yeah, so I should have warned you on this show. We 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 do pull up the the side couch and our guests and uh, put your feet up and relax. This will this will be painless. Um, but no, it was just a, that that did come through subtly to me as I read your book. Um, just interesting seeing the fabric of you being created as you went through your experiences. Um, also at that time, you, obviously you were having gay attractions um, and I can't imagine that that environment, even though you know, homophobia in that environment was probably the least of your worries, I would think that that was a predominant um, oppression that you were living under. Um, can you speak to that about how you were feeling at that time in terms of your sexuality? Yeah, it was definitely known, um, and I knew from the time I was, I think,
2: nine or so, um, that something was different, something was, yeah, I, I was just different than my than my siblings and didn't know how to pinpoint it or express it um, up until I hit puberty. And then, of course, it, it, it kicked in full strength of um, lusting after, you know, a friend or, or other people in high school. Um, but it, in no way, shape, or form was it a safe environment for me to express any of that to anybody um, for fear of, you know, discrimination or, or hate crimes or, you know, Matthew Shepard was killed uh, around that same time. Um, and all that was very prevalent in, in the front of my mind, and I was terrified of, of acknowledging who I really was, as well as the mm-hmm. effect it might have, especially growing up in a conservative area, you know, the high school, there weren't many minorities. Um, so, yeah, that's... Growing up in that environment certainly played a role um, and as well as would I have been accepted at that time um, by my family. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know if any of us really know that answer because that's just not how it plays out, but, um, yeah, it was not a good environment for me to come out, which is why it took me much longer to, to do so, and I'm sure that many others just like me.
1: Yeah,
0: no, definitely, and I relate to that as well. Um, that you did end up going into uh, police work and becoming a police officer um, and completely closeted at the time. Um, What was that environment like? Because that is obviously front of mind for a lot of people around the country now as to what the environment in police organizations are. And obviously it varies geography to geography. But um, there does seem to be that toxic masculinity environment that um, is very easy to fall into. Um, how did you deal with that?
2: I acted like one of the boys. Um, it, was, it was survival. Um, I knew that this career was where I wanted to go, preservation. Um, and so as a police officer, this is it's almost unfathomable to me that it's been 20 years. It'll be 20 years in, in December. Um, but things have changed a lot um, since then, thankfully. Um, but back then, no, I didn't dare say a word. And it was in 2006, I finally, I bought a condo outside of the county where I worked uh, in Richmond, Virginia, uh, then a county over, which was more democratic, more liberal. And I knew I could be myself a little bit more uh, in that county living outside of where I worked. And so if I wanted to go on dates, I wouldn't be seen by colleagues. Um, you know, anytime somebody was throwing homophobic statements out there, I I, I wouldn't say a word just out of self-preservation. Um, and I'm not aware of any other
0: gay officers that were, that were in the department with me at the time. Yeah, it's uh, totally understood. And, you know, quite frankly, you know, when I was coming out in the corporate world, I did the same and it wasn't, they weren't police officers and they weren't carrying guns or anything like that, but it was still, you know, you, survival of the fittest. You, you, you knew how you were going to if you were going to survive in that environment, what you had to do. So yeah, totally, totally get that. Um, Dated dated um, women as cover. Oh yeah, no, I, I fell into that trap with my folks where I actively, um, acted like we'd be out in public and I would like cruise women intentionally for my folks to see me acting inappropriately cruising a woman so that they would be thrown off the track. So, yeah, it's it's sort of 101 in the closet um, type of stuff. Um, one of the things as a police officer, though, as you describe in the book, um, the first time you came to the scene of crime and it was a murder, um, and tell us how that uh, thoughts and um, what did that do for you moving forward, being exposed to that?
2: Yeah, that was way early in my career. Um, I was actually not even through the police academy yet when I encountered that. Um, it was jarring to say the least. Um, and I, you know, describe in the book of uh, just mm-hmm visually what, what it was. Um, so I was a little bit disturbed by it. And, I, you know, after witnessing the homicide scene and the suspect being on scene, you know, and he was thankfully he was still there and arrested, but the children were also present and lost their pa- both parents, one to death and one being arrested in the same 10-minute span, which was absolutely awful um, process. Um, so I went home that night and I, my roommate at the time knew something was wrong. Um, and I just – I had to t- <laughs> end up talking with her about it and trying to figure out, okay, this is what I just dealt with. Um, but then as I processed it, processed it, I was like, okay, if I can deal with this, if I can handle this and keep pushing forward, then this is probably a good career for me. Because I couldn't foresee it getting a whole lot worse than what I had just witnessed. And at the time, mass shootings weren't a thing like they are, unfortunately
0: are today. Um, yeah, seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Thank God. I mean, that, that, yeah, that does up the ante considerably nowadays. Um, you did, however, you were on, you know, in the national guard right when nine 11 happened and, um, sent you into active, uh, duty. Um, tell us about that and how you dealt with nine 11 terrified. Um, I had flown home from basic
2: training on September 10th. Um, And so 9-11 was my first day back home and I was in split training. So I was gonna go, I did basic training at the Air Force and then I was gonna go back to the tech school training at the Air Force um, months later. Um, Yeah, I woke up on 9-11 to a phone call from mom or my stepdad waking me up. And it was my first chance to sleep in, like beyond 4 a.m. and not be yelled at. Um, So I turned on TV and I was absolutely mortified and thinking what the hell did I just do? I am in the military and I, there was nothing I can do now. Um, cause at the time, none of us signed up in the military thinking we're imminently going to go to war. Um, exactly. Yeah, it, it took me quite a bit. Um, but at the same time, I was like, all right, well, I haven't even processed my unit. I have to, so I threw my uniform on, called my base and said, I'm on my way and reported down there. And even the guards at the front, it's this morning of nine 11 are like, who the fuck are you? I was like, no, no, i like. I'm here to in process. I just got back last night, like blah, blah, blah. And I just, I went and helped out as, as much as I could where I could, um, because that at the end of the day, that's what I had signed up. I, I was now in the military and I, there's no running from it. Um, so I went down and just did whatever I could do. I hadn't been through training yet, so I couldn't um, technically work on the uh, F-16. So I just was cleaning and, and just doing whatever I could to support the rest of the, the airmen who were, who were out working on the jets. Uh, and they were later deployed um, overseas.
0: Yeah, it's uh, one of the things, I mean, and I just admire you so greatly because it, throughout the book, and, and that's why I brought it up even, you know, when you were a young man and confronting your mother's attacker, you just, you know, you you have this, this shield um, of yourself that, you know, you you kind of put yourself out there without without hesitation and um um you know that's a, obviously a very rare admirable quality and thank god for you I mean for for doing what you do and have done um and and I I totally related because the date September 10th which happens to be my birthday I knew exactly where I was on 9/11 or the day before 9/11 um so when you were recounting that in your book, I could easily play where where my head was that day as well. And it was a day that we went from everything is great, everything is fine, economy is, you know, fantastic, and yes, George Bush is in office, but oh well, to oh my God, now war. And to be in your position to have to face that because that that had greater ramifications for you as as much as anybody is is, is an incredible thing. Um, one thing you talk about, obviously, is a big arc in in the book is um, your romance, engagement, and ultimate marriage um, and divorce um, to um, your your husband, ex-husband, Samson. Um, can you take us through the arc of that relationship? Um, And you know, obviously, it's core to the book, um, and and why the reflection specifically on it throughout the book. Yeah, quite the arc that
2: is. Um, Yeah. So I just finished reading *The Velvet Rage*. um, Actually, we on a flight back from Maui, Um, and it was funny to read that, and I hadn't read it before, and to to immediately identify in my own book phase one, two, and three that is discussed in *Development rage and it was spot on of okay phase one of a gay man's life phase two and phase three um so it was it, it was neat to watch it or i'm sorry read it uh in reverse as i probably should have done um no it was you know as, as i came out and when we met i was in the closet and i was still dating women um and my ex you know that's a lot for anybody to deal with and process as he helped and guided me out of the closet as I tried to figure out who I really was. What is the gay environment? Who is the community? Where is the support? Um, and, and feeling comfortable with my own sexuality um, was a lot. And he helped me through a lot of that. And we were young in our 20s, uh, mid, mid to late 20s at the time. Um, so it was turbulent. Um, just adjusting to all these changes in, in my life. Um, and we broke up a couple of times early on through, you know, whether it was a car crash my sister was involved in and a dispute over whether we wanted to have children or not later. Um, so then, you know, it being in the process for being hired by the Secret Service and the FBI. So there was also uncertainty that was woven into our early years, trying to figure out who we were as a couple and competing with his then best friend for, attention felt like there was always like three of us in the relationship um many of our first relationships are they're they're a little bit rocky as we adjust to accepting who we are and being not being ashamed of who we are um we ended up marrying in quietly in boston um commons in october of 09 it was just four of us um and then i went back to work as a police officer and nobody knew that i was married except for my one closest friend Um, then we moved to Miami and started to identify who we were as a couple, um, kind of ignoring some of the stuff that was underlying that we just, you know, our communication was not near as strong as I thought it was. Um, and I, and I take my own, my ownership in that. Um, and so through these years, we, we developed our identity as a couple, um, opened things up to, um, other people having open marriage. Um, that occurred in South Florida, and that was um, an exciting and exhilarating time. I guess is probably read right about. Mm-hmm. Um, the move to DC when I took a relocation to um, the Secret Service because our benef- our we were not protected under law in South Florida for our marriage, so we sought a little bit more protection from the District of Columbia. And my ex was becoming depressed in his career pursuits in south florida so it was just the right move for us to move north um but then as i married more of my job than i did my husband um, we became um, distant as as the years went on um, because washington dc is an animal and it will eat you up and spit you out and move on to the next victim Um, and that's just that's just the way it is it was thrilling it was exciting. It was what I had signed up for, but at the same time was completely neglecting what was going on at home, And I didn't realize it.
0: Right.
2: Um, I was intertwining my identity, my personal identity and my professional identity. Um, and so anytime people, we went out, people were always focused on me. Oh, what's going on with work? What trips have you been on? Who are you protecting? You know, they're, they're calling for information, um, which put me at the center of most conversations, and I got lost in it. Um, so, we, yeah, we just became distant. Um, and grew apart until there was a catalyst that burnt down the barn. And that was uh, Alex in the book. Um right. he reignited a fire inside of me to wake me up and also make me see that there was a lot more to a relationship and you can be truly happy and have these amazing feelings that I'd not ever felt before, um, along with the revelation that my ex did not um want to have children and that was a deal breaker for me as it had been all along and that's to this day an adventure that we're on
0: um, is having children um yeah so that's i get the arc and in the yeah in the in the book that that was uh, that comes across as a pinnacle moment not only does him breaking to you he doesn't want to have children but you were already in the process which i've been through that i've um adopted two baby boys through foster care um, who are both now 20 years old. But, um, you know, I know what that process is, and it is not like, you know, a quick little form you fill out. That is you are – they put you through it, um, which uh, they put you through it to become a Secret Service agent as well, but there's an equal one. But for to have a partner pull out, not before that happens, but Mm mid-process is – is detrimental um with with your future children that i'm sure you're going to have um what of your life do you want them to embrace and grow up knowing about you
2: wow another another great question um i mean certainly honor and integrity uh, those are just overreaching principles and ethics so. You know, we just want to raise good human beings. Um, uh, yeah, at the end of the day, we just want to raise good human beings that are just good people. Um, it's pretty cut and dry. I know that's not a phenomenal answer for you. Um, <laughs> but, it's, you know, I, I would love to say look back on my life and, and think of me the way I think of my grandfather. Um and to just know that they're going to do good things in the world and, and be kind and, and intelligent and objective and open-minded, all those things we need, especially in this day and age. Um, yeah, I don't care if they go into policing or, or medical field. It doesn't matter. Whatever makes them happy. And hopefully they will go out and make a difference and, and make themselves happy and, and also be their true selves, whatever that may
0: I think that is a kind of a uni- unifying factor with gay dads uh, is a, I know part of my writing early on was a letter to my sons and it was exactly the theme of what you just said. You know, it's like, all I care about is you be your true selves and I will be there no matter what you are um, and who you are and who you love. It's I think we through the fire we've been through we are very eager to hand that to our next generation to give them the, the ability to do that. Um, I want to go to your Secret Service agent um, gig, though. I mean, that's obviously the reason you were top of conversation is that that is a pretty big deal. Um, tell us the the story of how you got into being in the Secret Service and what are some of a few of your most memorable moments um serving
2: yeah absolutely um so i had once i finished my bachelor's degree in 2007 um, i knew that i wanted to go federal um i based on my sexuality i felt i was stymied in the, the sheriff's office and i would not get promoted or promoted beyond first level um but i wanted to travel and live in other areas so i knew going federal was the route i wanted to go Um, So I applied to the Secret Service and FBI on the same day in 2008. Um, The Secret Service offered me the job first. Um, And so I jumped at it, and they offered six different locations. Um, We chose Miami. It was, you know, they didn't offer relocation packages back then, Um, and my my spouse was going to be out of work. So Miami made the most financial sense for us, and it was still on the East Coast, so that's what we took. Um, And it Yeah, it's been a hell of a ride. Um, One that I never, ever thought I would would see myself on or have all these stories to to try and recount. Um, It's it's just so many. um, From the Pope's visit to D.C. in 2015 was pretty great. Um, The press pool was in my zone. Um, And so when he came down um, off the ellipse, and made the turn, like, that's all in my zone, so there's just a ton of media shots, which, of course, is awesome to see, like, historically, here I am in the shot with the Pope. Um, yeah, but but also the the work and the stress um, that came along with those insane 20-hour days of ensuring there was no gap, you know, in the protection because it's a zero-fail mission, no matter who it is, whether right. like it's the Pope or the president or a visiting dignitary, you know, president of Brazil or whatever. It's zero fail, and that that incurs a lot of stress. But the people of the Secret Service I take away um, are some of the most amazing human beings um, that I have ever worked with. Um, and to this day, I hold them close. We, we became family. Um, and especially in the last three years, I was there traveling the world uh, from 2016 to 2019. I, I was on the road 60% of the time, and so these people that I was working with you know, these shifts, as they're called, um, they become your family. They have to. You have to rely on each other. Um, and so I, I took right. away these amazing friendships and relationships that, much like policing, you know your life is in good hands. You can trust them with anything and everything, um, and that's that's hard to come by. Were well, there
0: any events? Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, were there any events that you were – because everything had to be so incredibly planned and everything else. Were there any particular events where you entered the event and even though nothing really ever happened, but you were particularly anxious or or had anxiety that something in that event could happen?
2: Yeah, I um, I was a lead agent in – San Juan, Puerto Rico for Bernie Sanders um, for a campaign visit in 2016. Um, And that was the most stressed or stressful um, event I had that year. Um, It's just there's so much, because you're in Puerto Rico, so much of the control is out of your hands and you have to rely on these other entities hoping that they do what they need to do. um, Because as a lead agent, you know, you have a team there with you, but ultimately all the decisions come down to you. And so I had site agents who had 20 years on and we came away from that. And, you know, went after the uh, Bernie Sanders was wheeled up, um, the other advanced agents were telling me this is the most stress they've ever been in their career. And that, okay, so I, was, I felt better. It wasn't just me that was feeling this pressure. Um, and we were successful, we, it went off without a hitch, but it was just 7 a.m. to 11 p.m. every day for a week. Because you're the lead agent. So if there is a failure, it comes down on you. And you're in Puerto Rico, so we don't have this traditional, like, police support that you would have, you know, in Miami or D.C. or wherever you might be. Um, insanely stressful. Um, but we got through it. Um, Trump's inauguration was also pretty stressful. just due to I observed the campaign trail for that whole year um, mm-hmm. and not knowing supporters, and they tended to be a little more Enthusiastic or uh, jingoistic, jingoistic. Um, so a little bit of concerns there. Uh, but it was also just an extremely complex venue, which was Union Station in D.C., which was fully functional during the inaugural inaugural event. Um, so that was also high high stress. Um, thankfully, it came away from it, and the, the Washington Field Office management recognized and commended that it was possibly the the most difficult venue of the entire inauguration, and it happened to be mine. Um, It was really stressful, but I was also thankful at the end that they also recognized just how stressful this was and and
0: that we had completed
2: the mission successfully.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, You did have a vantage point observing, um, because you worked several of the different campaigns of that uh, 2016 election, um, and observe the MAGA crowd versus the Hillary cloud, crowd, for example. Um, what, from just an observational standpoint, what what do you view the difference of those two groups? It was night and day between the two.
2: One was completely predictable, um, and one was not. Um, just, I,
1: it,
2: yeah, it, it was so identifiable. I'm like, okay, and it's not like I had a say in what, it, you know, I was bouncing around the country for that entire year, working these events, bouncing from Hillary to Trump. Um, but just to see the queue of people lined up at all these Trump events, and, and so it wasn't but so surprising, you know, on the, that morning in November 2016 when, when he was announced the winner, I guess we just didn't expect that all these people would turn out to vote because it seemed like at the time they were turning out for the show, which mm-hmm. – but, it's, you know, I, I don't know how else to describe it. I think mean, people were just so entertained by what was going on. And we just – we just I hadn't ever seen anything like that, including the 2012 campaign. It was just not this, this hype, this tempo, this, the volume.
0: Yeah, it, and then after the election, um, you did have the choice of whether you were going to stay on with the Trump detail or go with the obama protection detail um talk to us about that arc and how that played out for you yeah i was actually uh
2: they they asked us in august of 2016 where we wanted to go next i was technically in the washington field office at the time and they said well do you want to go put your name in the hat for the incoming president which was unknown at the time or you want to go to um, help form the Obama protective division, which, of course, they would be coming out of office? Um, and based on what I'd seen on the road, the forming of the Obama division seemed like the state for a bit. Um, again, I was grasping for control when I didn't – it was the illusion of control, um, thinking that the Obamas would be in D.C. plenty. I would be home with my then-husband. You know, as you said, we were approved for adoption, so we were running a phone call for a baby. Um, But also I knew they had a home in Hawaii. And so I would be going to Hawaii on a regular basis, which I absolutely loved Hawaii. So to go to the Obama division and help set that up. Um, And then on inauguration day, you know, I was out at Joint Base Andrews, you know, when they lifted Marine One, Marine One landed and Air Force One took off, um, taking the Obamas out to, I believe they went to California.
0: Um, And that kicked off my time with the Obamas. Yeah, nice. Um, Corey, one thing that, I I mean, you talk about, you know, your sexuality throughout the book and everything else. Um, it's kind of ironic because I would think that anybody that knew or met you and and you identified as a secret service agent is kind of almost like a sexual fantasy of like, you know, it's part of the, you know, if you go out on Halloween and you're going to, Dresses a sexy male costume, you know, a uh, sexy cop, barman, or secret service agent, are kind of on the top of the list. Um, did you ever find yourself getting sexualized or sort of sexual fetishy um, interest because of who you were? Yes, and I still do. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll get
2: now that was the book is out. I get messages and follows of people that I, you know and there's no shaming, there's no judgment. Um but yes, that that absolutely still actually does occur. <laughs>
0: well, congratulations. Um Yeah. No, it's just it just it just um I don't know. It, it, it's part of that I mean, everything out there in terms of the apps and all that are, are basically superficial anyway. I mean, you have you have um, environments where people are selling themselves by their bare butt shots or their bare dick shots or whatever, so it's you know it's sort of part for the course, but um, yeah, it's just uh, uh, a weird, weird part, not of the gay times, just our times, I think, um, that that happened. Um, so, Corey, again, yeah. thank you so much for coming on with us today. Thank you for who you are and what you do, and thank you for the book. Um, the book can be Um, purchased via Amazon. Um, Also, it is available on a couple of really cool places, um, outtoprotect.org and um, on IEFPA.org. So, you know, definitely being promoted by um, some key service organizations, um, which is really cool. Um, What haven't we talked about that we should have talked about? Wow. Um, I guess
2: what's coming up? Um, I do have intentions um, of writing another book, um, of picking up where I left off. Um, there's, there's a lack of information out there about surrogacy uh, for LGBT families um, and mm-hmm. creating families, um, so I would like to contribute to that. Um, and as well as be able to, have something for our children to explain to them, this is how you came about, this is this is the love that went into having and building a family. Um, and also having good representation, both being in a biracial couple that, you know, LGBT literature out there, as we all touched on way earlier, uh, is under attack, and we've got to stand up and, and
0: make our voices heard and available. Well, fantastic, and we look forward to seeing that. Um... Uh, also, hopefully, you're talking to somebody in Hollywood, and you know they're they're thinking about turning your book into like a a movie. I think that would be kind of fascinating. Um, but if you know I, of anybody, send them my info. <laughs> I, I, I'll I definitely will. Yeah, you know, like I've got a list for them. But yeah, definitely would put, put you on that list for them to do. Well, thank you again for joining us today. Um, that is it for us um, on the Rated LGBT Radio staff. I want to thank Brody Levesque for his work on the LA Blade. Uh, definitely check that out. See all the breaking stories there. It's losangelesblade.com. And um, Corey, is there any other website uh, for you that people should know about?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and Brody and Rob, thanks again for having me. Um, all my info can be found on CoreyAllenBooks.com. And the audio book actually was just released this week for anybody who loves audio. So thank you so much.
0: Excellent. So check it out. The book is Breaking Free, A Saga of Self-Discovery by a Gay Secret Service Agent, and now obviously available to listen to as well as to read. Um, And as for the show, we'll be back again next week with another fascinating show. No clue what it will be. I just promise you will love it. Um, We will talk to you then. You've been listening to Rated LGBT Radio.